0: As we open it, we're going we're gonna to finish the book of Philippians, which we just read in uh, first hour, uh, verses 10 through 19, about Paul's gratitude for the gift the Philippians sent him. And it's pretty complicated. He couldn't just say thank you. I'm thankful that he didn't because he gives you a fully orbed biblical doctrine of reciprocity of God gives and then we give back. And then what we give God back, he uses to glorify himself. And then he gives to us and then we give back to him. And it's this constant reciprocity in relationship. I believe that reciprocity with God, that means you're reciprocating. It's a big word, but it means God gives and then you give back. This is misunderstood in uh, two key ways in the body of Christ. On the one side, there is a tendency to say that God is like a secret power That if you, like the law of attraction or something, that if you give to God, then you'll get. I'm from Texas. Uh, Texas is famous for TV preachers who will say, I think you feel like, touch the screen. I think somebody feels like $1,500. And they mean, send me $1,500 to get a blessing from God. And that's one side of this misunderstanding of reciprocity is that I'm going to give to God, rub the genie a little bit, see if he didn't give me a little something more. I've only got so much money, so I'm going to invest it in God so that he can give me more money and magnify me and then, you know, expand my borders or something. Jabez style. And so the idea that if you're getting it right as a Christian, then you should have a helicopter or a jet or something. You should be rich because uh you're getting it right and so the rich and the wealthy are the ones that really serve god and this this is a gross misunderstanding of the biblical doctrine of reciprocity two examples why jesus said i don't have a house i don't have a place to live second reason the apostle paul he is not a wealthy man he is infinitely rich in christ but he's not wealthy after the flesh but he's on mission and he is successful eternally so That's one side of the misunderstanding of reciprocity. The other side is that if you say, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, as Philippians 4.19 says, if you say that and you say it in context where Paul is saying you have given and filled me up and so my God will fill you up, then somehow that that's making us mercenaries who are guilty of the first problem. And both sides need to get back to the scriptures and see God is like our dad playing catch with us. He is. He's Abba Father. He's, da- he's daddy. Where did I get that? God is playing catch. He gives you something. And then you serve him with it and it glorifies him. And then he provides more occasion and and power and privilege to serve him. And then you serve him and glorify him. And then he gives you more to, and it's reciprocation. He's playing ball with you. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to the heaven. John 17, one father, the hour has come glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Did you hear it? Give me that I may give to you. Glorify me that I may glorify you, even as you have given him. We've already done this, Father. You've given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you've given him, he may give eternal life. Listen to it. This is where everybody's eyes glaze over. I hope you all get it. Two or three more people are going to understand this today because I'm just taking this little pause. Listen to what he said. The first principle, give me that I may give to you. The second thing he says as you've already given me authority over all flesh and to all you've given me, I gave them eternal life. Listen to what he says. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. You gave them to me. So I gave them the knowledge of you. You gave them me. I magnified and glorified you in their, in their understanding. I gave them eternal life. The knowledge of you. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you've sent me to do to reveal the father Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This prayer for glory is not a magnify me separate from you. This is a magnify me so that I have something to glorify you with. It's relationship. And we want to say the Christian life is not a religion. It's a relationship. Right. And this relationship includes give and take because it's a relationship. Let me show you the most important type of reciprocity. It's your personal interaction with your father. He has communicated before you ever say a word to him. He has spoken to you. He always initiates. He has given you his son, which is the ultimate word of God, the manifestation, the revelation of God to man. And, and through Christ, he's given you the word of the apostles that you would know God. He's spoken. That's the Bible, the word of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophets and apostles. What do you mean New Testament prophets? Well, like Paul talks about the prophets in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Paul, Paul mentions the prophets in Revel, Romans chapter 12. What prophets? Mark, Luke, James, the writer of the book of James, not the apostle James. It's James, the elder, the brother of our, our Lord. These are not apostles. They've written scripture. They're They're prophets. You have the word of God because God starts the initiates the communication. And then how do you reciprocate with him when he talks to you? What, do, what do you call it? When you talk to God prayer, the word of God is God talking to you. Your prayers are you talking to God. It's reciprocation. Try to have a good prayer life without some serious time in the word. Now try to really stay focused on the word and a real relationship with God without some serious committed time in prayer. No, you may be in the word, but the word's not really doing much on you because it's not about knowing about God. It's about knowing him and that's a relationship. So it's reciprocation. And in Philippians 4, we go beyond the word to its work in us and our conduct of it to doing what it says. We, We go beyond the word in the sense that we go beyond learning it to doing it. And that's why Paul tells the Philippians, my God will supply all your needs. So this gets into the biblical doctrine of giving. I'm not telling you this at the beginning of the year because we're about to have a budget meeting and I'm asking you to pass the budget. I have no doubt that you will pass this year's budget. God has been gracious to us beyond what we could ever have imagined. And uh, I've done 13 of these with you already. Not worried about the budget. I'm not worried about you giving. We always share with you at the end of the message, there's grace boxes on the back. It's part of our ministry of worship to God. Give as 2 Corinthians 9, uh, as, as you are led, and, and as a cheerful giver, give to the Lord as you have purpose in your heart, not under compulsion or necessity, right? That, that's our giving. We don't. We, I'll even teach you that the tithe, the, the percentage giving of the Old Testament is part of the taxation system of Israel. We're not covenantally, ba- we're not a theocracy. Okay, so um, what I would do with that is say, don't hold yourself back. <laughs> but, but uh, this is not a message per se on giving. We're in closing down the book of Philippians today, and it does occasion what Paul is talking about with their monetary gift to him. But this is more about what God wants out of you in your spiritual life. This ties in your destiny. This ties in the judgment seat of Christ. This connects to the Christian spiritual life of having fellowship with him. So can I give you 20 points on the biblical doctrine of reciprocity out of Philippians chapter four and first, uh, sorry, John chapter 17, by the way, we're, we're going from, we're launching from Philippians 419. And so my God will fill up all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says this because they filled up all of Paul's needs. And he says so my god will fill up all of your needs that's the context for me to teach the doctrine of reciprocity the biblical doctrine of reciprocity and uh, this is a logical application of what we have read in philippians 4. please don't let it be said well the pastor really wasn't in the bible today i'm summarizing what the new testament teaches about christian giving again in first thessalonians uh, I'm, <laughs> john 17 the high priestly prayer glorify me that I may glorify you. Philippians four verses 10 through 19 and uh, at least second Corinthians nine. First, God's constant desire is to bless us by including us in his fellowship. That is out of the uproom discourse. When Jesus teaches that, if you keep my commands, then we'll make our abode with you. God wants constantly to bless you in fellowship with him. God is not the God that, that the snake talks about in, Genesis three, he knows that when you eat from the tree, you'll know you'll be like him knowing good and evil. Therefore he's holding back the goods from you. That's not that that's the way our sinful hearts will start to think about him, that he's holding back the goods. God says no fornication. So he doesn't want us to have fun. God says, God says, don't do certain things. Well, I feel like doing those things. So God is meaning he's holding back the goods for me. No, he is telling you, that'll kill you. That's destruction to you. That's a curse to you. And I love you. So his prohibitions are love and his instructions, his commands are love. And so I think this is the the theological starting point to understand reciprocation with God. For you to give to God, in other words, or give, really give back to God. Second, this fellowship, enjoying God's righteousness together with him. Fellowship means the privilege of participation in his work. This is the exact opposite of the typical sermon, well meaning on the Great Commission that says, if you're not sharing Christ, then you're not doing what God wants you to do. And it puts people into this guilt uh, syndrome where they feel like, well, I'm, I'm kind of scared to talk to people. I don't know if I've got the maturity that the pastor's expecting, but I want to be a real Christian, so I'm going to try. Hey, being part of God's work is not a, a burden. It's an easy yoke. It's a light burden, Jesus says. It's not something for you to be afraid of. It's a privilege that you and I need to learn to cultivate an appetite to want. But it's not like, oh, you know, you're supposed to feel guilty about it. That's the opposite attitude. Some of you know very well what I'm talking about and others, you haven't tried it out. You haven't tested him and, and seen if he's got good things for you, but fellowship with God is a privilege of doing his work. Again, John 17, I've accomplished the work that you sent me to do. And Jesus has parlayed that work for us to continue as we make disciples. Third, the work God has for us can be summarized this way. We're here to reveal God to man through Jesus Christ. I can't get more broad in the summary. You can't just say reveal God to man because it's gotta be through the only way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus. It's got to be through Christ. But notice it's not just Jesus. Because Jesus said, make disciples of all the nations by baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And what he commanded us means that we can have the abode, we can become the abode of God the Father in John 14, verses 21 and 23, which we looked at last hour. We are here to reveal God to man through Jesus Christ. If you have another uh, objective in your life, you need to let this one be your, become your, that's a repentance moment. You need to say, this is what I want my life to be about. And then you need to figure out how, what you're doing fits into that. See, no longer is your career, your mission, your career is a detail that's part of how you're accomplishing the mission God has for you. No longer are you identifying yourself as just a parent or a father or a mother. You're saying, okay, my, my, my role in my family is part of the mission. You see, where's your identity? It's in Christ. What does Christ have us doing? Making disciples. This is the work God has for us to reveal God to man through Jesus Christ. Now, if you feel guilty about like, I don't really feel like being part of that mission. Well, that's, that's a problem. That, that's a problem because that's what we're here for. But that notice, I'm not telling you that you've got to go knock on the doors of all your neighbors to do the mission. Somebody needs to, but you may not be the one. I think Paul says the Philippians are senders and they're his partners. Paul's the goer and he's partners with the Philippians. And so in the Philippian model, you're either Philippian or you're Paul. You're the sender or you're a goer or Epaphroditus. You'd be both. But I'm not saying that you all need to go preach Christ and harangue people when you're not prepared or the door isn't open for you to do so. By the way, the biblical doctrine of open doors is always the gospel. It's never about the mortgage. It's never about uh, being able to switch my, uh, my phone plan from one carrier to another, but y'all just pray. The Lord will open door. You know, the doors in the, in, in Paul's teaching on that, the Lord will open a door is always that he'll provide an audience and prepare the hearts of the hearers to hear the gospel. It's our mission. So we're here to reveal God to man through Jesus Christ And you will grow in your ability to do that. And the way God has for you to do that as you grow spiritually, it takes mature people to do adult work. So we're all in a process of growth. Philippians three, we don't consider ourselves there yet, but we're, we're growing. So we're here to reveal God to man through Jesus Christ. And just understand that's what you're here for. And if there needs to be repentance about that, that I don't really feel like that's why I'm here. You, that's a great moment that, might mean spiritual growth for you. If you get over that hurdle, it's amazing to me that the evangelicals call themselves evangelicals, the people that are here to evangelize, but it doesn't seem to be the (laughs) the focus or even part of the focus of what they do. You say, Pastor Dave, don't you consider yourself an evangelical? I don't know if they would consider me one. They would probably call me a fundamentalist. But if you know what that word means and not what the news people mean by it, it means we believe every word of scripture is inspired by God and authoritative, whether I understand it or not, then then, yeah, I'll own that. Fourth, God initiated the reciprocal affair of giving and receiving by saving us and giving us the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I mention this is because those on this side of it, they're like, you're trying to give in order to receive and you're doing that health and wealth thing. Wait just a second. You cannot give more than God has already given you. You have received infinite grace in the giving of God, the Holy Spirit, who the apostle Paul says has come to reside in all of us in Galatians 3. He's come to abide in you forever. And this is, according to Luke 24, you have the Holy Spirit so that you can bear witness for Jesus Christ so that you can be part of this work. So God initiated this giving and and receiving, this matter of giving, receiving, Paul says in chapter four of Philippians, with you by giving you the Holy Spirit at your salvation. Now think about that. See, this is why the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect your so great salvation. Think about what you have in Christ. And if you think about just for a second, who you are in Christ, because you have God, the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to play that Christian victim whiny card. It's impossible. You have to be carnal. You have to be thinking like an unbeliever to feel sorry for yourself. We do because we have the spirit of God and believers. I know you're suffering and you have hardships in life, but they don't begin to touch the weight of glory in God, giving you his spirit to live in you. But most Christians, I think, don't understand why they have the Holy Spirit. Some think it's so that you'll have a certain feeling. That's nowhere stated in scripture. The reason you have the spirit, look at it in Luke 24 and Acts 1, is so that you can bear witness for Christ. And this was an awesome opportunity. So dad owns a business and he says, hey, I want you to start running some of these accounts. Do you see how that's a huge privilege? It's a huge capitalization that he gives you the ability to do it. And, and we stand around and say, I don't really want to run your accounts, dad. Eventually the kid has to grow up enough to know that the joy is in the work. The joy is in the success of industry, of being creative and seeing the creation and the works of our hands carry off in a valuable outcome in our project. And that's what God is doing with you. He's dad, and he's invited you into the work and he's given you his Holy spirit. So now fifth, we love him back by obeying him, which means keep all that Jesus has commanded us. You love him back. He's already loved you like you can't believe you love him back by obeying him. Anybody know where in the Bible you'd find an explicit statement or three that says, love me back by keeping my commands. Anybody got a place? John 14, John 17. You've got the reciprocal prayer and about uh, the the glorification. John 14, you check it out beginning in verse 15. If you love me, you keep my commandments. And he says it, I think, three more times before you get out of that chapter. We love God back by obeying him, which means to keep all that Jesus has commanded us. Do you see how this is working? His call on our lives to be about his project of revealing him to this to to the lost world is a huge privilege. Now we engage in that privilege, and it brings glory to him. We give him what he wants from us. By using the power that he's given us to do that, that's reciprocation. That's reciprocity. Sixth, the privilege of fellowship with God and his work empowered by his spirit means that his instructions to us are grace to us in this age. It's very important for people to understand what Paul means when he says we're not under the law, we're under grace. And not then say, so we don't have any law. Because the apostle Paul himself says we are under the law of Christ at least two places. And uh, my favorite is Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Who knows where you find the law of Christ? Maybe you think, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know. But I heard the Lord Jesus uh, say, I read what he said in John 13, 34, where he says a new commandment. That's law language. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. How? Just as I've loved you, I think it takes you further than love your neighbor as yourself to love one another as I've loved you. Don't look at yourself; you just love them self-sacrificially. But that is the that's the law of Christ, and so therefore we bear one another's burdens. See, Paul is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not coming up with his own stuff; he's just teaching us how to serve our Savior. And so I'm contending that when you get a command from God that says, "Do this," go make disciples. It is grace to you because dad wants you to be part of the work. It's a promotion. It isn't my job to make it attractive to you, but I pray that God will. But it is all of our job to teach you to keep all that he commanded. Part of that must be seeing it as beautiful, as lovely as it is to do his work. Seventh. Having received abundantly from God, that's the beginning of things he initiated. Our reciprocation is obedience to his instructions. It's not law keeping so much as loving your dad, giving God what he wants in the way he wants it. It's that way he wants it part, right? I brought the car back, yeah, but you parked it. You you ran over the back fence. I, I wanted it in the driveway. I brought the car back. Yeah, but we always fill up the car with gas when we take the car out. I told him about the Lord, but you didn't speak the truth in love. I told him about the sins that you were angry about, but you didn't love them. You said sin, but not so that in love for them, they would be saved from their sin. I think of Jonah when he finally made it to Nineveh, you're all going to hell, you know, whatever he said. I think of Jonah as uh, the way Jonah ends the book of Jonah. I think of him as very unrepentant about the attitude that God has toward these people because the, the book of Jonah ends on a question, doesn't it? What about all these poor? What about all these kids and animals too that you're want, you want me to destroy everyone? And, and you're not thinking like I think the book of Jonah is a challenge to all of us to say, well, we think like our father about about sinners. I think of Jonah as uh, unrepentant in his preaching, which God knew and probably was just exactly what those Assyrians needed. You're all going to hell. Oh, are we? Uh, we, we couldn't understand it until someone said it like that. I suspect he smelled a little fishy. Eighth, no amount of acceptable sacrifice from us will balance the gift of the Son of of God at the cross and the Spirit at Pentecost. This is the way you have to think about whatever you do in love and a love response to God. You're never going to clear the ledger of what he's done for you in love for you. And the thing is, as you give, he fulfills you, he backfills you. He, he keeps magnifying you and, and you'll, they say you'll never outgive God. Hey, you're started off in an infinite debt. You could never give what you've already received or anything like it. So what we do in love is a relational giving. I hope you understand it's not transactional as they say. Ninth, thus it is evident that we are not paying God back for his grace. I hope everybody gets that. You're not paying God back for his grace. You're loving him in reciprocation for what he's done. And that is to me a big difference. It's not a mercenary or an impersonal transaction. You see what I'm saying? It's not an impersonal transaction. You can't rub the genie and get the three wishes. That's a, that's a horrible, horrible counterfeit to what we're talking about here, where you have a personal loving father who wants you to join him in his work and wants to keep backfilling you with more resources as you do the work 10th and you're halfway rather we are joining him and giving and receiving God is a God that likes to play pitch and most of us are not looking at him when he wants to throw us the ball and sometimes he throws it anyway. No, I, those of you with sons that have, Ever had the experience of holding the ball glove, giving him a ball glove, and throwing the ball where he caught it? Finally, and he threw the ball back where you were actually able to catch it. Dad, you, you didn't catch that. We well, threw it <laughs> ten feet away. You could have dove. Anyway, when, once you're playing pitch with that kid, and you're talking, and you're playing pitch, it's it's an awesome experience. And that's that's the way I think of this relationship God is calling us to, where He's giving and giving and saying. throw throw it back, throw it back. But we don't, we hold the ball. We say, this is mine. I, I have the ball now. And he's like, that's not what we're doing. We're playing pitch, but I've got the ball. Yeah. It's your turn to throw it. And, and that's the problem. I think in a lot of our hearts is we're not thinking this through that we're having a relationship with our father, joining him in giving and receiving 11th. We're engaging in a personal relationship with him when we reciprocate with him. How do I do that? How can I sign up for just so much dollars? 1995, 1995 a month or one lump sum, $600. You get, I wonder how much uh, we would, if you think about it, you heard the Lord Jesus was preaching over in Galilee right now. And you knew what we know from Paul. I personally would start, uh, collecting cans to try to get over there to, to hear it. Right. I mean, what, how do we get to that? <laughs> what, how much does that cost? It's like the rich young ruler. When Jesus says, Hey, sell it all, give it to the poor. Just follow me. He's like, Oh, you know, going around with you or my stuff. I just, I just can't, I just can't part with the stuff. It's so it does. It's such a no brainer. Is there anything you wouldn't get rid of if Jesus said, yeah, uh, get rid of that, 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 and that. And come on, you're like, yes, (laughs) the God, man, and the most important, the only celebrity ever, right? The only human being that needs to be worshiped, the only one who is truly a celebrity, So we are engaging in a personal relationship with God when we reciprocate with him. And so 12th, our pattern for this personal relationship is the Lord Jesus with his father in John 17, as we've said, that's our pattern eight and 13th. The reason we ask for glory in John 17 is so that we will have something to give God to glorify him. So glorify me so that I can glorify you. That's the attitude. The writer, or sorry, James says, you don't have because you don't ask. And when you ask, you ask for the wrong motives because you want to spend it on your pleasures. This is the problem. Pray intelligently like Jesus does. Father, help me with this financial thing because I want to be part of what you're doing financially. Right? Get get on mission wherever the numbers are, whatever you're dealing with. The reason to ask for glory is so that we'll have something to give God in response. Fourteenth, God has already initiated this reciprocity by giving us the spirit. As I've said, he started it. What are you going to do about it? Fifteenth, the judgment seat of Christ is the final evaluation of how we performed as believers in this matter of giving and receiving. How do you know that? Because second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10 is very explicit. And it says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema of Christ to receive recompense. That's the clear language of payback for the things we've done in the body, the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad, it couldn't be clearer that you are not facing the great white throne judgment of whether you're a believer or not. You're facing the judgment of believers. And what did you do with the power that I gave you for the mission that I gave you? We have the power of the spirit so that we can bear witness for Jesus Christ. He told us to go make disciples. That's another way of saying, bear witness for Jesus Christ of all the nations. That's why you have God, the Holy Spirit. So what are you doing? I think that a lot of our concern about rewards, we're we're thinking, am I sinning or not? Am I committing personal sin? What about the great sin of omission where you had all this incredible power of God to grow in the grace of, of the Lord Jesus so that you are the mature believer? He wants you to be on mission the way he wants you to be. Part of his work as a Philippian or as a Paul or as whatever the piece of the, your pie, is, your piece of the pie is. What if at the judgment seat of Christ, he says, you know, yeah, you're a Christian. You believed you trusted in me and I, and I regenerated you. I gave you the Holy spirit. I declared you righteous. I sealed you unto the day of redemption. Your resurrection body is guaranteed to you. But here you are in resurrection body with nothing in terms of performance. And you can say, oh, there's no such Christian that doesn't. Hey, most of that conversation is about whether Christians are sinning or not. What about the sin of omission? What about we didn't do what he wanted us to do in this mission that he called us to? One of the greatest principles that we ever learned when we were six years old is the gyroscopic forces. I love me some gyroscopic forces. What's that? Riding bicycles, right? Or torpedoes, gyroscopes. I learned that from Humphrey Bogart. All right. So what are, so what are gyroscopic forces? Well, it's the fact that on a two wheel vehicle, you should not be able to, to stay up on it, except for this thing that God graciously applied to his design of the physics we live in. And it is that when you have the wheel spinning thus waywardly, then when you need to stay up from this direction, it works because of gyroscopic forces. When you have a little th- fidget spinner thing and you flip it over, that's you're feeling the gyroscopic forces. All right, when you go on a bicycle fast enough, you can stay up. But there's a point that we all know that you're going slow enough where you can't stay up anymore unless you're doing some sort of you know, trick, unless you're, ba- you're being one of those balance-y, you know bike trick kids that can just sit still on a bike. But for most of us, we got to pedal a little bit to get up to some speed. How much of Christianity is worried about my personal sin, and we need to be concerned about personal sin, but hasn't paid attention to what he told us to do. Get on it. And I believe that in the work, there is great joy. That is a great motivation to keep your eye on the ball and keep your body sanctified before God, as First Thessalonians 4 says. So I believe that you are going to be asked about how you lived your life now, Pastor Dave, how are you so certain that 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5, the judgment seat of Christ, and our rewards is talking about our performance in the mission? How do you know that? Because 1 Corinthians 3 says you have to be careful with what you build on. and In that context, he's talking about Paul and Apollos building in the gospel to, to develop these Christians in Corinth. And the, the, the passage talks about the fire of judgment that, that tests the works, and it's the, the, material built, the materials you're built with. In that context, it's all about the mission. 16th, the Philippians are an excellent example of this reciprocal performance in fellowship with God. The Philippians show you how this works. They received, so then immediately they started giving because they understood that we want to project this gospel, we want to be part of this, we want to see this go. We want to be part of this. And there today, we are honoring God on the account of the Philippians because we are heirs to their giving. They have given us Paul's ministry by supporting it, by putting him to work, by letting him not make tents, but write Romans. And we've read Romans because the Philippians gave to Paul. It's awesome to think about how important Philippians 4 is on your spiritual life when you value the, the word of, of God in Paul. They're an excellent example of this reciprocal performance because they had 17th, because they had received the personal knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. They understood the privilege of participation in the works of God. They understood it. If you don't understand it yet, listen, this is going to sound somewhat provocative, but if you don't get it yet about personal relationship with God and what it means to give to him of what he's given you, like John 17, if you don't get that yet, then just hang on, talk to him about it. Don't give out of cultural pressure, give out of a Philippian awareness that you get to be part of God's work. That's exciting. It's eternally exciting. 18th. Therefore they gave responsibly to God because they had received, they gave responsively to God because they had received. We all know we've all been here at times and we all know Christians who are there right now. Well, what, why should I serve God? What has he done for me? That is a Christian that's starving for God's word. That does not have any spiritual perspective about what God has done for you. And after all, how would you know? Unbelievers are breathing the same air. Hopefully soon it'll be clean air in here. (laughs) Open a window. You can't get it that way. It's too loud outside. It's too cold. It doesn't work. We're going to have to do something else. We all know Christians that are unaware of their great salvation. You're like, they're not real Christians. No, they are. Because it isn't your performance that saves you. It's the work of Christ that saves you. And a little child with childlike faith needs to trust in Jesus as Savior. That's, that's the moment of new life. But then you got to grow. And we all know stunted growth. We've all seen it. In some, some cases, we've experienced it. And some of that stunted growth is ingratitude. And ingratitude is a consequence of two things. It's the ignorance that I have of God's word. And when telling me what he's doing and what he's done for me. And it's the awareness of my circumstances. And you put those two together. I hurt. Don't know what God did about it. All I know is my hurt. That's setting your mind on earthly things. And so that's not the spiritual life. Obviously the spiritual life, you get on board with fellowship with God in mission. Nineteenth, you're almost home. This giving advanced the agenda of our Lord's mission such that it directly affects you and me today. That's just awesome when you think about the Philippians as our benefactors. They thought they were supporting Paul so that he could talk to the Thessalonians. They thought they were supporting Paul in his Roman imprisonment here so that he could write his letters, you know, to the churches that they were talking to. I seriously doubt Epaphroditus and Lydia and the other Philippians knew that they were feeding our spiritual lives by putting Paul at the desk with a pen and not cutting up tent material. But that's what's going on. See, this is my my point is that they didn't know what their giving was really ultimately doing. God always does this. What do you have? I've got two uh, sardines and five tortillas. Got a kid's lunch. It'd be flatbread. It'd really much like a tortilla over there. Not loaves of bread would have been flatbread. Well, why don't we feed 5,000 men plus all their wives and kids? You just never know what God's going to do with the little bit you have. You just give it knowing it's God. And that's how he is. And last, it is to be expected that God would backfill the Philippians as the reciprocity continued. That's why the promise of Philippians 419, my God will supply all your needs. Now to our God and father, wait, let me blank this out. Now to our God and father, be the glory forever and ever. Great. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren are who are with me greet you. That means concern yourself for one another. (laughs) It's the kids downstairs. I I blame the children. (laughs) Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. You know, when Epaphroditus first read this, however many people were in the room in Philippi, jumped up and screamed for joy. Caesar's household, Christians in America, in the collapse, in the, in the, the inevitable for, forfeiture of individual liberty. Just, just keep doing your work share, learn Chinese, learn to learn to say the gospel in Chinese. All right. Caesar's household. Paul's not worried about the geopolitics. He's just on mission and they're getting the slaves in Caesar's household to come to Christ. And that's how the the church began because Paul was on mission and the Philippians put him in there. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's house, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Heavenly father, we thank you for the Lord's table for the privilege you have of worshiping you in uh, the word and prayer in song when we can. Father, we do pray for you to free us from the current uh, tyranny of this virus and its, uh, its destructive um, force in, in every aspect of our lives right now, including the health of a small percentage of people that contract it. Pray for those that are uh, struggling with COVID-19 uh, throughout our country, throughout the world. Uh, Father, in in this, in every crisis, we pray that you would magnify your glory and bring many sons to glory through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Finally, Father, we pray to the Lord of the harvest that you would send workers into the harvest. The Lord Jesus could look at the harvest of the Samaritans and say it was abundant. Father, we cannot look at this harvest today and say there is a lot of fruit to be be, uh, gleaned. Uh, in New London County, but you know what what you're doing. So please open doors for us in the ministry of the gospel. Please keep our eyes on your son in uh, times of national disaster and help us to consider him in all things so that we are not worried. We are consumed with a a peace that passes all understanding. We ask it in Jesus' name. We all said, Amen. amen.